This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. An unlikely friendship begins in the Paramount Plus original movie, Little Wing, starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Reeling from her parents' divorce, Caitlin steals a valuable bird to save her home, but instead forms a bond with the owner, leading to a new outlook on life. Little Wing, now streaming exclusively on Paramount Plus. Head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Rated PG 13. Hi, this is Shirley Jones, and you're listening to TV Confidential. Temptation never came in a more dangerous package. Explosively new in color, Ernest Hemingway's The Killers. Her passions were fast money, fast cars, and men who lived dangerously on or off the track. Characters only Hemingway could have conceived. Lee Marvin, Charlie, he killed for $25,000. Angie Dickinson, Sheila, she knew more than one way to kill a man. Ed Robertson was a reminder that Stanley Livingston is in our second hour. We hope you'll stay tuned for that. In the meantime, our guest this hour is Dwayne Epstein. Dwayne is the author of Lee Marvin, Point Blank, a comprehensive biography that not only covers Lee Marvin's career in film and television, but discusses aspects of Lee Marvin's private life that one way or another became very public, particularly his controversial relationship with Michelle Triolo Duane's book includes interviews with more than 100 friends, colleagues, and family members of Lee Marvin, as well as a very touching afterword by Lee's eldest son, Christopher Marvin. The publisher, Lee Marvin Point Blank, is Schaffner Press. You can find Duane's book at uh, bookstores everywhere, as well as pointblankbook.com, as well as amazon.com, wherever books are sold on Line. We could easily spend an hour talking about the palimony suit. <laughs> uh, yeah, we certainly could. And I'll tell you, um, I don't want to brag, but I will in this case. I, I once said that was another aspect of Lee Marvin's life I wasn't looking forward to writing about. Yeah. But I discovered early on much of what people know about that suit or what they remember about it is wrong. Mainly the fact that everybody thinks he lost. Not true. He did not lose. And more importantly, I prided myself on being able to uncover the lawyer Lee had mm-hmm. for the trial. See, during the time of the trial, which made headlines on a daily basis, everybody interviewed Michelle Triolo's lawyer, Marvin Mitchelson. He was very flamboyant, he loved the camera, he was very media friendly. So most of what people remember is her side of the story. His lawyer, a gentleman by the name of David Kagan, granted me an interview and laid the whole thing out for me in a way I had never known and explained to me exactly how they won the suit, which is in the book. And it amazed me how much the media got wrong at the time in terms of their relationship, in terms of their history. Um, And then, as they were reporting it on a daily basis, it was like something out of the front page. It was as if they were, uh, the play in the movie, Mm -hmm. it's as if they were going out of their way to get stuff wrong and siding with her because it made a better story. The facts were completely different. And your readers will discover that when they read the book. I was fascinated to find out how the actual case was nothing like the way it was portrayed in the media. Yeah, and and, and all I will say, Dwayne, is I, I can see why it was a difficult chapter for you to write. You know, because uh, but at, at at the end of the chapter, Lee ends up winning in more ways than one. Correct. And that's that's, that's <laughs> right. all I'll say. That's all I'll say. You have to pick up a copy of Lee Marvin Point Blank to find out what you can uh, order by going to Lee by going to pointblankbook.com, www.pointblankbook.com. Now, here's another interesting thing, and, and and again, this is 
because he played a certain type of character, you know, who was often, you know, I mean, there's one famous example where he beat a woman that was even more brutal than Jimmy Cagney and the uh, and, and the grapefruit. But but in real life, uh, again, not only we touched on he was very sensitive you know, towards women. He was also kind of moral in, in the sense that even though he was not faithful to his wife, he was kind of monogamous even when he was cheating, if that makes sense. It makes perfect sense. To me, it does. Yeah. <laughs> that line Al Pacino had in Scarface, remember towards the end of the movie when he's drunk at the at the restaurant, and yeah. he goes, I always tell the truth, even when I lie. Yeah. Okay? Lee Marvin was kind of like that. Yes, he was unfaithful, but he <laughs> he couldn't help but let whoever was in his life at the time know about it. Yeah. Kind of thing. Uh, maybe it was, you know, childhood guilt or something. I don't know. But... He was in his own way, and, and as you said a moment ago, too, he, for a guy who lived life really close to the edge and sometimes went over it, he was surprisingly moral, as you said. Yeah. I mean, Gregory Walcott told me the story about when they were making a Prime Cut in the early 70s and how he was impressed to discover... Uh, you know, firsthand, how Lee drew a line in the sand with the director, Michael Ritchie. Because mm -hmm. Ritchie had some kind of unsavory ideas for what his what Lee Marvin's character was supposed to do in the film. And Marvin said, no, I'm not doing it. I, I, and when you watch the movie, anybody who's ever seen Prime Cut, it's a very strange movie, yeah. by the way. But if you've seen it, you'll see what I mean. Because the way the movie is cut and the way the movie is presented to the viewer, there's a kind of a unsavory aspect to it, I won't go into detail about it, but it makes you want to take a shower after you watch the movie, and it's the way the director is filming it, but Marvin's character is reacting to certain things that's being said and done by Sissy Spacek in her film debut, that he was supposed to be a lot more lascivious towards her, and yeah. if you watch Marvin's performance, he's not at all. And and it's interesting. Those were the choices that Lee Marvin made, and he stuck to it. And he actually said publicly in an interview in Rolling Stone, he said that working with Michael Ritchie was the biggest mistake of his life. He couldn't stand him, which is, you know, amazing for somebody to say. He didn't say, well, you know, we had creative differences, or, or I'd rather talk about something else. He he laid it on the line and said as much. Well, he he, he was pretty much that way whenever he gave him an, uh, an interview. And some you know sometimes he would he, he would make a remark, and someone would say, okay, okay, could could you clarify what you mean by that? And he would, but uh, but but he but he, but he wouldn't apologize for anything he said. Right, and it also depended on the mood he was in and what he felt and what he thought of the journalist doing the interview. His his career long agent, uh, a gentleman named Meyer Miskin, a person I was also able to interview and was very very insightful into Lee Marvin, told me that Lee did his best acting for reporters. So when you see him on TV talk shows and reruns or read interviews he had given, he was putting on a certain persona and he knew it. And sometimes he would go out of his way to be even more. Lee Marvin than Lee Marvin, you know. It, he would he would he would do the interview while he was playing with a knife or sometimes a gun, and he would scare the hell out of the guy doing the interview. But he also was eminently quotable. Journalists always said that about him. There was one in particular, a guy in England, uh, Roderick. I don't remember his name, Roderick Mann, who said that uh, Lee Marvin is one of the most interesting interviews you'll ever do, as opposed to someone like Paul Newman, who's boring as hell. Now, I'm a Paul Newman fan, but I understood what he meant. I've yeah. seen Paul Newman on talk shows. He's not that interesting to listen to. Whereas Lee Marvin, you never knew what he was going to say or do. And he would say or do the most outrageous things. 
that that made him fun. They made him fun and also made him very interesting. And you can uh, uh, you you can get an uh, inside look. You get a window into the life of uh, Lee Marvin by picking up a copy of Lee Marvin Point Blank by Dwayne Epstein. Point Blank Book dot com. This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. You have two appendices at the end of the book. They're both kind of fun. I thought we might want to touch on you have an appendix called. Movie roles that might have gone to Lee Marvin had he lived. Yeah, I I, I invented that myself. Yeah. The other one, the one the pre- uh, 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 the predecessor of that, I got the idea from the gentleman I mentioned earlier, Marshall Terrell. He did it with his Steve McQueen book, which I, it's an interesting thing about the movies McQueen almost made but didn't. I had that in there too, as well as well about Lee Marvin. Probably the saddest example being that he turned he he didn't turn it down, but he didn't make the wild bunch, which he should have. Your wagon instead, yeah. Which everybody always you know it's like why would he do that? Most people don't realize he read the script for Pinkster Wagon was written by Patty Chayefsky, who was one of the greatest screenwriters of all time. Yeah. When it went into production, it was changed dramatically. Lee really did want to make The Wild Bunch, though. Now, that said, I came up with the idea of going one step further. Not only the movies Lee didn't make when he was alive, but had he lived, because he did die rather prematurely. He was only 63 when he died. Had he lived another 10, maybe 15 years, what about the movies that were made would people think he could have been in? And these, and these, of course, purely speculative, and, it, and, it's, and it's my own idea, but I would watch a movie, say, and my favorite example being something like Jack Nicholson and A Few Good Men, who was absolutely memorable and riveting in it, but if you look at what the character is, a career soldier, mm-hmm. I see Lee Marvin playing that guy. I could very easily see Lee playing yeah, the, uh, General Colonel Jessup. Yeah, the, the only one that I disagree with... Uh, tell me, tell me. ...is... Is Tommy Lee Jones as Gerard in The Fugitive? Really? And it's and it's not because I have a proprietary interest in The Fugitive. It's just take away facial expressions aside. I mean, you know, some of the grimaces that Tommy Lee Jones does as Gerard kind of reminds me of Lee Lee Marvin. But uh, I don't know for some reason I just that was the one example on your list that I shook my head and said I don't see, I don't I don't see that. That's okay. You're entitled. You're absolutely entitled. And by the way, I didn't know you had a vested interest in the fugitive. That's one of my all-time favorite TV shows ever. Yeah, I, uh, I absolutely love that show. I still watch it every Sunday night on, on uh, me TV. Me TV. Yeah. Well, uh, I wrote a book on the fugitive a few years back. One, one last question. Sure. One last question. Uh, you mentioned that uh, Marvin died. You know, he died. He died sooner than he should have. Let's put it that. Way, you know, uh, in 1987. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and this this kind of goes back to our conversation about television. Marvin had a love hate relationship with television. Yes, he did. Um, he went back to television in the late fifties because Meyer Mishkin said, "Look, if you want to get the kind of breakout movie roles you want, you need to become more of a household name." And so he went into television for more or less the same reasons that Ernie Borgnine went into television a few years later when he went when he did McHale's Navy. Now, Marvin, true, yeah. Marvin died in 1987, mm-hmm. a few years before HBO really started to become a player in, in television, and, and, and particularly with television drama, and ushering in you know uh, what some would call the second golden age of television in the last 15, 20 years. 
Had right. Marvin lived, had Lee Marvin lived, do you think he would have gone back into television? Oh, absolutely. I absolutely think he would have. The sad thing is, some of the last acting he did, you know, I don't, the way the industry works is very strange. Is that they, people say there's, a, there's, there's no difference between film and television in terms of success anymore because of cable and what have you. I still think there is a certain level of that. That if you're successful in movies, you're not going to go to television. Right. And if you do go to television, it means your career is not where it was before. And we still see that. In the case of Lee Marvin, that certainly happened. One of the last acting, pieces of acting he did was a TV movie sequel to The Dirty Dozen which he absolutely hated doing. Yeah. Um, in spite of the public uh, facade he put on of saying, oh, it was a great script, I couldn't, you know, I couldn't wait to do it, blah, 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 blah. His son told me he hated making it, he couldn't stand doing it, but as his agent said, Meyer Miskin, he just had to get out of the house. He, he was living kind of in semi-retirement, and he knew the great scripts were beyond him now, but every now and again, he would still be like, I just, I, I got to do something. Um, and with the advent of cable, which, by the way, I think in 87 was in its earliest stages, yeah. had cable, once cable got past its, uh, when I say cable, I mean that as a broad term, yes. um, but once cable got past just being able to show naked people and curse a lot, when it got past its adolescence and the depth of what they were doing was a lot stronger, had Lee survived, I could easily see him doing some of the things that are on t uh, cable now. That extremely popular show, uh, uh, True Detective, or the, uh, the one with Matthew McConaughey yeah, yeah, and yeah, yeah, yeah. I could see Lee on that, can't you? I could see him playing, like, you know, uh, making up a character for him on Mad Men or Breaking Bad or any number of those things. Or, 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 something, or something in The Sopranos. I mean, I, I, think, I, I think an enterprising guy like David Chase would have found a way to work Lee Marvin into that show had Lee Marvin still been around. So, Absolutely uh, true. Because, yeah. you know, Lee was keenly aware, amazingly aware, much more so than other actors of his generation or since, of what an actor's persona brings to the role. He had suggested deliverance to John Borman, and he thought the casting would be he and Marlon Brando in the parts that Burt Reynolds and John Voight would later play. And Borman had trouble getting financing, and once he finally did... Um, it was, you know, the early 70s, and by that time, Marvin actually turned it down in spite of the fact that it disappointed him because he loved Deliverance. He, he read the book and he fell in love with it, and he's, because it has a lot to say about man's capacity for violence, and yes. it's a great film. Yeah. But Marvin told Borman, listen, when you have a guy like me and a guy like Marlon Brando in a movie, and not just our age, but who we are, the audience is already going to know certain things about these people. Because they see Lee Marvin and Marlon Brando, and they have images in their mind of who these guys are. Yeah. So he was keenly aware of his image and the way his image was perceived. And he carried that with him brilliantly in the characters he played. Now, he could say more without saying anything than pretty much any other actor, with the possible exception of Steve McQueen. But in some ways, I think Marvin... I don't want to get into the Marvin versus the McQueen argument, but I mean, <laughs> all great film actors have that ability, yeah. just to convey things without doing anything. Well, we'll we'll save we'll save the uh, Lee Marvin uh, versus Steve McQueen argument for the next time you come on the program. Okay. <laughs> Wayne Epstein is the author of Lee Marvin Point Blank. The publisher of Lee Marvin Point Blank is Schaffner Press. Uh, you can find Lee Marvin Point Blank at your local bookstore, public library, as well as SchaffnerPress.com. Point Blank. Book.com, Amazon.com, wherever books are sold online. Dwayne, this is a lot of fun. We'll have you back again. Oh, thank you so much, Ed. It was a pleasure. I really enjoyed this. Where we play our conversation with Stanley Livingston of My Three Sons when we come back for hour number two of TV Confidential. Stay with us.
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. If you haven't been listening to TV Confidential, this is who you're missing. Linda Day George. Diane Cannon. Donna Mills. Richard Benjamin. Michael Bell. Joan Van Ark. Thank you so much, Joan. I, I really appreciate this. I hope we'll have a chance to chat again. Well, I hope so, too. And let me tell you, bravo to you. Kudos for doing your homework. That's all I got to say. Thank you. Hugs. That's TV Confidential. Every week on this station and every day online at televisionconfidential.com. Hello and welcome back to the Ronnie Deutsch Tax Program. On the line is Paul from California. Hi, Paul. What's your tax problem today? Hi, Ronnie. Love your show. Listen, I've got a big problem. You see, my paycheck was garnished last week, and I'm only getting half the normal amount. To make matters worse, the IRS froze my bank account. Listen, I'm embarrassed and scared. I need some help. Listen, Paul, you don't need to feel embarrassed. You just need some tax help. And the great news is the IRS has some unbelievable programs that can eliminate your tax debt so you don't have to worry about having your paycheck garnished or your bank levied. Doesn't that sound great? It sure does, Ronnie. Then do yourself a huge favor and get a free consultation right now and tell them the tax lady sent you. 855-717-6901. That's 855-717-6901. You can listen to this show all over again as a podcast on iTunes, Spreaker, TuneIn, Apple Podcast, and wherever podcasts are found. Best of all, it's free. To subscribe to the TV Confidential Podcast, go to the homepage at televisionconfidential.com and click subscribe now. Become a TV Confidential Confidant and receive unlimited access to the last five years of TV Confidential, plus other members-only content. To find out more, go to televisionconfidential.com and click Become a Confidant. Enter the coupon code CONFIDENTIAL when you sign up, and you'll receive $5 off your first month's membership. For more information, go to televisionconfidential.com and click Become a Confidant. Alexa users, you can now listen to TV Confidential on your smart speaker by just saying, Alexa, play TV Confidential. Enabling our Alexa skill is easy. To find out how, go to televisionconfidential.com slash Alexa. This portion of TV Confidential is brought to us by our friends at Front Porch Realty Group, the community of realtors in the Northern Bay Area of California that is committed to finding the solution that is best for their clients. Whether you're a first-time home buyer or looking to sell or lease your property in Northern California, call 415-886-7411 or visit frontporchrealtygroup.com for more information on how they can help you. Ah, uh, hmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to Caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at Caskers.com. 
be part of our conversation. If you like what you hear, have thoughts on this week's program, or have an idea for a future edition of TV Confidential, we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at talk at tvconfidential.net, talk at tvconfidential.net. You can also message us at facebook.com forward slash tvconfidential, x.com forward slash tvconfidential, or at TV Confidential on Instagram. And if you're listening to us on the TV Confidential podcast, please be sure to hit the subscribe button. This portion of TV Confidential is brought to us by our friends at Front Porch Realty, the community of realtors in the Northern Bay area of California that is committed to finding the solution that is best for their clients. Whether you're a first-time home buyer or looking to sell or lease your property in Northern California, call Karen Strain at 415-886-7411. Or visit frontporchrealtygroup.com for more information on how they can help you.